the easy thing is to ignore your children and like blow them off. And she talks about how her dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> is, that, is that funny, Chelsea? <laughs> She's... No, it was funny. Sorry. Go on, you finish. <laughs> she talks about how. Uh, Ch- Chelsea is dying thinking of abandoning children. N- no, I was dying thinking about how. I'm glad I have my notes because so much of this episode, I'm like, what? And I was thinking about that running joke we had about me covering that same episode over and over again. The heavy lifting. The heavy lifting. (laughs) California. Keeping up with the Coens, an OC rewatch podcast. Hello and welcome back to the world's number one Taylor Townsend recap podcast. <laughs> That's right. This is Keeping Up with the Coens. We are going to be talking about episodes number nine and ten of the OC um, for the second week in a row for us because um, one of our our leaders, one of our fearless co-hosts. Um, really fucked us badly last week. And that fearless co-host is, of course, Chelsea Trinidad. Hello, Chelsea. It was me. It was me. I'm sorry. I'm growing two small humans in my belly right now. It's it's a miracle that I haven't had more fuck-ups like this, honestly. I honestly, I agree with that. I was thinking about how it's a miracle <laughs> that we've never had to re- redo a full episode before, but here we are. Um, but hey, we did. We waited till the very end. We waited till we've already fully given up, so it doesn't really affect us that much. And we're oh just going to talk about the same episodes again as we did last week. No, you know what I did the other day? I was there at my workplace. We've been having um, issues with uh, a mouse. And I texted my husband, and my pregnancy brain is so bad that I told him we had problems with mouses. Wow. problems with mice. It's meese. <laughs> meese. It's meese <laughs> It's a real thing. I always thought it was bullshit. It is not. Speaking of mice, um, Dylan Irwin <laughs> is also Speaking here. of smelly, creepy things. Hello, wow. 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 Coming in hot. Chelsea really. Speaking we, yeah. of vermin. Wow. Here, wow. Chelsea feels so bad for what she did last week. She wants to align herself with me now. <laughs> I'm going to continue sending mice to uh, Chelsea's place of business. Just in the mail. Hey, that'll be way cheaper now that I'm in OKC as well. Heck yeah, mice mail. Wow. (laughs) Wow, I'm so glad we get to do this episode again for that that alone. Well, should we talk about the OC again? Yes. So we're still... Hell yeah. We are still... In season four, um, we are we are deep in it. We are over halfway done with season four now. Dylan, insane. what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts so far? You you haven't been here yet. I mean, I guess you have actually. <laughs> you I have love been here. I love season four. Um, it's it it reminds me. Okay, so season one got the whimsy. Season two got the drama, and I feel like season four has both of those. You feel like season four is is, is like dramatic. I guess the first couple episodes were. Yeah, yeah, drama. I guess drama in a traditional sense. Um, not like the Oscars, but I really, really <laughs> see. We're an evergreen podcast, um, but I really, I really, really enjoy it. It's I'm having more fun um, than I've had in a long time with this show. Um, 
it reminds me of how I felt when I first discovered it uh, during season two um, back in the day. And so I'm really excited to be here. And this is a really fun little social experiment where I willingly withheld from watching this for my entire life because I knew at some point in the future I would be hosting, excuse me, co-hosting, Chelsea's the host, co-hosting mm. a podcast <laughs> about the OC. It's weird that you wouldn't have seeked, like, I love the OC and like I don't know how you wouldn't have seeked out season four before now, but I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, man. You know, I just I get distracted by shiny objects and season four just wasn't one of them. Wow. No, I get it. Sometimes like a format change just seems like daunting. Yeah. And also it aired during our year of high school. I mean, I think we were juniors probably or seniors. It was like a very busy time. It was senior year. It aired our senior year when we were just too busy, you know, signing yearbooks and kissing babies listening to vitamin c all right well let's get into it let's start with uh episode number nine episode number nine is called the my two dads and if you uh the three of us who were here last week talking about this talked about (laughs) the fact that i didn't realize that every single episode of the even though we've done every episode up to this point i didn't realize that every single episode of the oc starts with the word the which is a ripoff of seinfeld we don't need to talk about that again because we did last week, but we can talk about the My mm-hmm. Two Dads, which features Sandy Cohen on screen for eight minutes and 56 seconds. Dylan, Hercules me. <laughs> the My Two Dads originally aired on January 4th, 2007 to 3.93 million people. It was written by Josh Schwartz, our dad, and Stephanie Savage. And um, as I do every week... Being the only person on the podcast that does this, I'm going to read a summary um, from the OC Wiki because this one is particularly interesting. Um, After Caitlin presents a ruffled history to her class, she ends up getting assigned a tutor, a socially awkward uh, school band member named Will Tut. Meanwhile, Summer and Mm -hmm. Seth resume with their recent commitment to get married, despite how the two really feel about it. Julie tells Kirsten of the true identity of Frank, that he happens to be Ryan's father just out of prison, while Sandy questions Frank's motives in Newport. When Sandy invites Frank over for dinner at their house, things don't go as well as presumed. Equal sign, equal sign, pilot, equal sign, equal sign, lowercase b, lol. So thank you, OC Wiki, <laughs> for that fantastic summary. Wait, one thing One thing we didn't talk about last week that I just realized is kind of interesting is that the previous episode ends with Frank talking to Julie saying, like, you know, a very dramatic music, like, I'm Ryan's father. And then from there, it goes very, it's like, whimsy again for the rest of this of that storyline. We don't we don't see exactly what happens between Frank and Julie after that, like whether he want like all we see is Julie immediately telling Kirsten that Frank is here, which I thought was strange that there was no uh, Chelsea. Are you OK? <laughs> you just put your full. Yeah, nose I'm fine. I was taking off my shoes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we just yeah. see immediately Julie telling Kirsten like, oh, Frank is our accountant is Frank and Frank is Ryan's dad. And I, just thought, I think that's a little strange that we don't get the bridge that connects those two conversations. That's actually the perfect bridge to my first question, which mm-hmm. um, I had 16 questions the first time we recorded this. And now I have 12 and some of oh, them are different. God. Um, <laughs> so thank you. The, the first bridge question interestingly enough, kind of bounces off of that idea. And if we could have seen Julie's reaction, knowing what we know about her, you know, initial relationship with Ryan, knowing how we know about her past in Riverside, what do you think Julie's reaction would be to a statement like that from Frank? It would be very, very different at this point in time 
than it would be um, certainly during seasons uh, one and two, I think. If I'm Julie, I would immediately think that he's dragged me into this situation. I'm in a hotel room. He's being very secretive. Like there's some bullshit afoot, which there really isn't. Like the only bullshit is that Frank is afraid to talk to Ryan. And like, well, I don't know if this is coming up in your questions and we did talk about it last week, but the whole angle of like, just go talk to Ryan. Why do you need to tell Julie? Like what was his whole plan anyway, to tell Julie in the hopes that Ryan would listen to Julie and talk to him? Like now that we've overanalyzed it two weeks in a row, it is starting to muddle a little bit. Well, I I think that um, she would have had a very sour reaction if she found out like, oh, this Ryan asshole, he never goes away. And now this dude is like in my business too, like this Atwood family. But now she obviously has um, like love for Ryan and respect for Ryan and they have like a bond. So... Frank did his homework and picked the person who was most likely to be um, compassionate to what he was interested in getting. Do you think that Frank did his homework to understand the relationship dynamics between Ryan and Julie and how they very recently, yeah, yeah, and how they very recently changed their relationship into a more positive situation? And so now he's like, she's the one that I need to go to in order to get to Ryan. Like, this is all doesn't make sense to me now that we're doing I mean, it. I don't think it was that deep, but I think that he could have easily been like, oh, Ryan dated her daughter and her daughter just died. Like, those are pretty, um, it, you know, th- that'd be pretty easy to find out. And also he was probably thinking she's not too close to the family. Like, it's not Kirsten or Sandy. So maybe she's a good person to kind of feel things out with i get okay and I'm not trying, she's an adult i promise too. i promise i'm not trying to just like push back on chelsea because of what happened last week i promise <laughs> i'm just saying I'm thinking about you it. think you think that a man who just got out of jail would have easily be able to figure out who his son recently dated and then track down hit that woman's mom i mean facebook was around but we just <laughs> talked we just talked about time. on the episode like that on the episode a couple weeks ago we just talked about how no one on this show uses facebook <laughs> they don't even mention it like it yeah. hasn't like, crossed over to the internet or to the tv show canon yet you think a man I who just know. got out of jail in 2007 would be like let's get on facebook <laughs> well because i mean even <laughs> seth brings up how much he's missed he's like has he seen titanic and i think I have a point that is going to speak to both of what you say, because I'm here to bring everyone together. Mm -hmm. Chelsea, I agree with you that this (laughs) season, we're seeing a very different Julie Cooper. And if this reaction, if she would have been told this information in the first season, or even the second season, in the first half of the third season, basically before Marissa died, I think she would be finding a way to use this information to her advantage, um, to try and and put herself in a better position. Mm -hmm. But kind of like you said, I feel like this new julie that we're seeing that has a better relationship with ryan is kind of treating it differently newly (laughs) newly okay let's say let's put you newly the noopsie let's say that like let's put you in in uh frank's shoes maga aside uh let's just pretend in this fantasy world we've created you are frank and you have to get in touch with your son and for some reason that's never fully explained in this episode you don't want to just approach the Coens or approach your son directly as a way to get in touch with him. You want to go this weird roundabout way. Is Julie the move? Yes. And here and here's why. And this is the point that kind of speaks to what you were saying. I don't think he did a whole bunch of background research on this. I think that the only thing he knew about is that his son got adopted. Um, he would have been sent copies of paperwork for the adoptionist, the biological father. Um, that's just how the process works. So he knows 
who adopted the kid, and a Google search on the Coens would connect them to the Newport group. And it sounds to me like that could be how he got there, which is how he got to Julie. And I don't think he's- Well, no, it was Gordon. Like, I think that Gordon put him in there not knowing, and I think he figured it out really fast once he saw that Kirsten was the partner. No, but he knew no, no. that Kirsten Chelsea, would probably not, be like... That's not what happened. It's not? Yeah, it is. He sought out Gordon once he knew Gordon was involved with Julie. He initiated that whole situation. He wanted to be placed into New Batch. No, I thought that him and Gordon were friends, and he was working they were for Gordon, friends. and Gordon was like, hey, you, you can help me with this project. <laughs> oh my god they met up in the hotel room because frank called bullet and said hey i see that you're working with a dating uh, dating service and i would like to work with them right <laughs> okay i did not remember i do not recall any of this all right pregnancy well let's uh <laughs> let's go to a question that the listeners are hearing for the first time but you all are hearing for the second time um mm-hmm. one of the big plot points in this episode is the impending wedding um, between Seth and Summer. And there's a question really early on about, you know, who's going to help plan the wedding. Taylor really makes her desire known to be the planner. Um, but mm-hmm. it really kind of begs the question between Taylor, Julie, Kirsten, and either alive or dead Marissa, um, who do you think would plan the best wedding for Summer and why? So we kind of did this last week. Let's, let's kind of visualize what each of these weddings would look like. Um, Marissa, alive or dead, would not be good enough. It feels like it would be too beachy, too alcoholy. Yeah, she would just focus on the bar. Yeah. And she'd be like, let's have it at my house because it's free. <laughs> outside. <be> outside. <laughs> um <laughs> she, she she has the best venue. Yeah. Uh Taylor clearly has lots of experience. Um that pirate party was lit for a prom. Yeah. Kirsten do you remember that lit party that Kirsten threw for Jimmy? Like, Jimmy was going away, and I was like, that was a $15,000 party. Do you remember the bachelorette party that she threw for Julie with the strippers? Oh, that was, that that was Julie's would be the most fun. Huh. So that's what I was trying to think of. So wait, Kirsten, but Kirsten threw the bachelorette party. Julie's, I, yeah, I do. I was just going to say Julie might be the best person to plan the summer's wedding. Taylor's would be good, but too, um, I don't know what the word is, like too by the book almost. Yeah, too orderly, I think. Yeah, that's a great word. Um, too orderly. I think Julie's might just be the most fun. Julie has the connection. She knows all the vendors. Kirsten's would be good, mm. but I would probably she would not put enough emphasis on the alcohol. It would it would be too vanilla, I think. Like yeah. Kirsten would do make all the safe decisions, and you need some curveballs at your wedding. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk more about this Seth Summer storyline. And this is, again, a question that we talked about on the episode that shall never see the light of day unless it's just Ryan and I's audio. Um, so throughout the series, we've seen Seth uh, straight up lie, um, lie by omission, and just kind of be a douche canoe. Where does the whole, I want to get married, it's, I'm kidding, let's just do it, fine, I'm going to smoke you out, lie rank in with the others. And I remember that one of the big points of contention when we first talked about this is whether it makes it better or worse that they're kind of in it together. I'm I'm keen to say, or inclined to say rather, that it's it's pretty bad because 
it's a much bigger decision than like, I don't know, choosing Anna over Summer, et cetera, et cetera, or, or, you know, the whole Brown situation. I think it could potentially be worse. I think the context of that situation in this season changes everything. Because if this storyline had happened in season three, I feel like it would be much like not as fun and a lot darker and like kind of more upsetting. (laughs) And we would be more mad that they are just really lying to each other in toxic ways. But the fact that it's happening in season four and it's presented as almost like a fun, just like subplot. I'm like, yeah, all right. That makes it a little better, I think. Well, they play the quirky music Mm kind of like on uh, Desperate Housewives. So because it's like, you know, Danny Elfman-esque track going on, you're like, oh, this is quirky and playful and not sinister. (laughs) Yeah. And also, you have to try and remember, which is something I do not do well when it comes to this show. You have to kind of remember that they're kids and they don't know any better and like... You can say that this is a bigger decision for him, but which it is in in real life. But like in the context of like, oh, I'm 18. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. She doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. They're just like, yeah, let's get married and let's smoke each other out, whatever. Not smoke each other out in the fun way. Um, <laughs> I think that the fact that they are doing it to each other and that they're both in it together changes it a lot from Seth just leaving on a boat or Seth lying about getting into college and trying to break up with her for a weird reason. That was really good. That was really that was that, that was better than last week. I really like that. Really um, like that we get to had the chance to punt and do it again. Yeah, let's do it again. And here, let's go ahead and keep with that trend and do another question that we had last week. Um, so we've been talking throughout. I feel like almost we mentioned at least once every season um, of this podcast, and we talk about diversity on the OC and how there's a surprisingly lack of diversity on the OC. Um, and this question is kind of a direct reaction to that. Why did it take four seasons to have a prominent black character, um, specifically Chris Brown? I uh, I remember that kind of one of my initial thoughts, thinking in you know a 2007 sense, is he had just started his acting career because Stomp the Yard uh, came out in 2007. But I also remember that he wasn't a massive musical sensation at this point. So what do you all think caused this shift? Well, it was it was also. He, he was at such an interesting part in his career because he, I think he had run it at this point. He was a very successful musical artist by this point, I think. He might have had forever by now. Um, I mean, actually, it was probably right around now where that uh, viral dance. The wedding um, video. Of people, yeah, the, the wedding office. video. Um, I very clearly remember him being on several episodes of Sesame Street, too, like singing with Elmo. <laughs> wow. So this was a very different Chris Brown than the one that we think of now. The, the kind of the question that I feel like we have is like, was this a diversity casting decision or was this a this guy is on the come up and he has a lot of fans. Let's get him on the show decision, regardless of what he looks like. And I just feel like in 2006, 2007, they didn't really care to be diverse. Like most shows didn't really care to be diverse back then. And I feel like this was just them trying to clout chase a little bit (laughs) by having someone on the come up like Chris Brown on their show. Because they definitely didn't choose him for his acting abilities because they are terrible. He is truly awful on this show. He makes Misha Barton look like she should be winning an Oscar. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's so bad. He's such a terrible actor. Also, should we? Would, I don't remember if we said this last week or not. Should we call this episode the Chris Brown note? <laughs> I think I, <laughs> I totally think we should. I um I'm really glad that the Brown note has resonated, um if you will. But um okay, I have one 
of three total um, stupid softball questions that I, I, I wasn't going to have any, but I know Ryan loves them so much. So at one point, <laughs> Summer says... <laughs> I need um, preface this now. Also, um, when you do this, don't number your questions like you did before because... I end up editing a lot of them out, so you'll jump from like four to seven. Number eight hundred and sixty-three. <laughs> um, so at one point, Summer says "frack that," which is a popular curse from Battlestar Galactica. And what I'm trying to find out is: is Josh Schwartz just trying to turn her into the manic pixie nerdy dream girl, or what? Are, how are we supposed to feel about that? Because it's a very particular line of dialogue to have summer who was anti comics everything anti marvel all of a sudden now quoting battlestar galactica how do we feel about that there's a very good chance that that phrase which i do just i'm only literally just now remembering that that was from battlestar galactica which i did not watch until long after the oc there's a good chance that that in the in the context once again in the context of the show that that phrase just kind of slipped into society and she heard someone say it she doesn't know where it's from kind of like me battlestar galactica is a huge gap in my knowledge i don't even know Uh, honestly like like was was kelly preston in it like i don't have any idea that sounds like something a cylon would say all right let's go to another serious question what is frank that was funny thank you ryan's cracking up right now (laughs) no i do want to say Chelsea, you're not wrong because Dylan's presenting this thing as if Battlestar Galactica was like some seminal thing that everyone saw, which is absolutely not. I th- and like barely anyone has seen that show, so you're not wrong. Thank you. It's not Thank a you. gap in your pop culture knowledge because it's not a piece of pop culture. God, I have a really big Babylon 5 and Farscape gap. Um, okay, so this question is. This is kind of a I don't know what's going to happen question. So if, if we don't want to answer this or if you don't want to answer it for my sake, then don't answer it. Before I even hear this question, which I don't know what the question is, I'm going to give you a very straight answer. And then it's up to you to decide if it's actually real or not. Okay. What is Frank's endgame? He wants to steal all of Bullet's money. Chelsea, what is Frank's endgame? <laughs> he wants to steal all of Kirsten's money. Oh, and he God. wants to do so by setting up a fake uh, rehab center. You know what's going to happen is I'm going to Wait, finish the season. <laughs> That's okay. See, I almost believed her until she went further. <laughs> yeah. um, what, was, what was that woman's name? Bad Charlotte. Bad Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. Charlotte's web of lies. God, we're so yeah. stupid. Also, I just want to say he does not try and steal Bullet's money. I don't want anyone to, to think that that's like a real thing. Um, let's do another fun softball question. Speaking of brown notes, would Chris Brown or T.I. have been a better bait shop guest during season two? T.I. would have been a better bait shop guest because T.I. had the songs to fill a, a set. Well, I guess you wouldn't need to really do a full set, but like Chris Brown, I feel like had maybe two songs. He had well, he had Run It, which was massive. But I did. I think that Chris Brown would be great in one of those episodes where they would where they traveled to like Florida or Vegas and they were doing spring break shit and oh bananas, oh bananas, oh bananas, oh bananas. Yeah, that guy. Oh, I miss yeah. him. Well, T.I., you can sing along to a little bit better than Chris Brown. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to another serious-ish question. Um, what do you all think made Ryan ultimately come around to meeting with Frank? 
Um, this question is kind of an offshoot of something I asked last week, and it relates to all these kind of different pieces of advice Ryan is getting. Um, he gets a little from Kirsten, from Sandy, from Taylor. Um, I think he even gets some from Seth. Or no, Seth is too self-absorbed at this point. But what do you think it was that finally kind of pushed him um, out of the cage, doing just fine, and into the light? I think that the, it's Taylor, right? I feel like they're they're fully they're like fully in the swing of dating now. Like they are together, and she gives him some girlfriendy advice. She talks about how I think her dad. She said her dad lives in San Diego and he owns car dealerships. But she spent a grand total of like twenty minutes with him over the course of the last ten years of her life, and so she kind of encourages Ryan to stay open to the idea. And I think that for some reason, at some point in there, a switch flipped, and Ryan is in on Taylor. He really likes her. He trusts her which is important. And so he takes her advice. Well, my question is, do we feel like Sandy was leading Ryan at all with how he approached the subject? Because I thought it was a little bit him being like, you don't have to if you don't want to. That actually dovetails into my last serious question. And it it's just Sandy. Um, and Sandy's reaction and Sandy's approach to this whole Frank relationship um, and Sandy, you know, they end up having Frank over for dinner. Um, and Sandy is doing his Sandy background work and finds out that this, this big piece of news that Frank is dying and he wants to meet his son because he's dying. Um, he calls his doctor, his doctor, uh, violates HIPAA, uh, Frank's <laughs> doctor and says, you know, uh, yeah, he's not dying. And Sandy confronts him about it and ends up punching him in the face. So do you think that Sandy is overreacting um if he is overreacting do you think it's justified and where do you think that those emotions are coming from from sandy because we don't see this sandy very often but we see him in this episode obviously you don't want to hit people in the face that's never a great moment but we're also not talking about a life or death situation sometimes people just deserve to get jacked in the face I feel like Chelsea's just regurgitating her Will Smith takes and pretending they're about Sandy Cohen right now. <laughs> um, no! Okay. I, oh my god, my Will Smith takes. You can get on my Twitter for that. And my, my take on that is that the only good take is to just laugh at the absurdity and move on. She said absurdity correctly. Wow, that's a big growing moment for us. <laughs> this episode was pretty similar because at dinner, Frank says you know, hey, Kirsten, and then makes some rude remark about her drinking. Mm-hmm. And Sandy walks up and punches him and says, mm-hmm. keep my wife's name out of your MAGA loving mouth. <laughs> that's it's right. crazy. That's exactly what happened. That would be so much better if that's what happened on this show. Life imitates art. <laughs> no, there's a lot to get into here with Sandy. That's a th- that's kind of the, the meat of the situation here. Sandy's kind of vibe and his whole situation with Ryan and his relationship with Ryan in regards to the fact that his dad is back. And I think that there is definitely some jealousy there. There's some, I think he's a little scared because it's an unknown situation. And I think what we all kind of agreed on before was that, you know, with Trey and with Dawn, they were two people that were kind of fuck ups for lack of a better word. Um, They were kind of train wrecks a little bit. Dawn more so Mm -hmm. than Trey. You know, Sandy, I don't think felt threatened by Trey because they have very different types of relationships with Ryan. But he, I think he also knew that Trey was kind of at a low point. And so Sandy didn't really have anything to be threatened by, um, especially with Don. Like, I think Sandy was trying to do his his white knight savior thing with Don to try and grow his relationship with Ryan. And he can't do that with Frank because 
on paper, at least, based on what we know so far and based on oh. what people have said, Frank is a very rehabilitated person who has his shit together, who, you know, dresses nice and presumably has money from working with Bullet and hasn't had drank in all these years. And he has fully kind of done what he needed to do to right his wrongs as, as much as he could, I guess. And so Sandy doesn't have that moral leg to stand on in, with him. And I feel like that kind of does bug him and why he wants to create some of that space between Ryan and Frank. I didn't even think about that. Just the idea that Frank, as we know him now, comes out of prison and the system, quote unquote, worked. And as someone who's all about justice and criminal defense, for Sandy to argue anything to the contrary must be eating him alive because he would, in a way, have to be going back on something that he has believed in his whole life. And on top, you know, just the idea that the justice system is broken and that prison, you can't rehabilitate someone. And then on top of all that, you kind of have, um, you know, like we were saying, this, this almost an insecurity um, because, you know, it kind of like, it, it reminds me of that, that stupid line from Guardians of the Galaxy 2, shout out Che, um, where, where Yondu <laughs> says that boy may have been, that, you know, that guy may have been your dad, but I'm your daddy. Uh, kind of weird situation between uh, between Frank and Sandy, but uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, and just like you guys said, I mean, he's handsome. He isn't scary. He's not, um, you know, he didn't leave prison with, like, hand-done tattoos all over him. And um, I, Trey immediately got out of jail and just put out all kinds of shady vibes. Yeah. Uh, and Dawn had, like, lip liner and was working in a laundromat. Um, but at the same time, it does it give you any ick, like ickies about Sandy and that, oh, he likes down on other luck people when Sandy can kind of keep them at their, am I, am I reading too into it? Well, I think it, Sandy or? wants to be the reason that they get their shit together, right? Like he kind of is with yeah. Ryan. He was trying to do with Don and Trey. And so the fact that, what's his name? I can't, Frank has done that without Sandy, I think, rubs him the wrong way in a weird way and i but i also feel like mm -hmm. does that give us the ick a little bit about sandy i not real. i mean it just makes him human right like nobody's fully perfect yeah. sandy is probably yeah. the most perfect person on this show it's, but he also yeah. fucks up like he kissed rebecca and he acts this way around frank so who knows it, it doesn't give me the ick because inherent in kind of sandy cohen and inherent in i honestly think his profession there's always this separation where you have work and then you have your family and what we're seeing now is his two lives are kind of merging together. Um, and that makes him incredibly uncomfortable. I think it's understandable. I think. I agree with Ryan with his Thank answer. Thank you. The whole storyline with Frank claiming that he's dying, which I think we all agree. It was like, so ugh, why do we have to do that? <laughs> like, that was so dumb and just th felt like kind of thro a throwaway almost. Um, there were so many other ways to get to where they got without having to fake this whole dying thing because just it's almost too cliche i feel like yeah but then there's the scene at the house with the dinner where everything seems to be kind of getting along and sandy even says at that at one point that he didn't like he didn't like frank at first but he's starting to win him over a little bit so we think that there maybe there's some wiggle room there but then he talks to the doctor which as dylan said just volunteers this information which is bizarre <laughs> they have a fight in the living room of the Cohen's house 
And I know we've talked, and again, Oscar's on everyone's mind. Peter Gallagher deserves an Oscar for, for that whole yes. scene. I loved it. I loved it. It was not, I don't actually think that, but I did love the scene, especially the moment where after he punches him, Frank says something along the lines of like, you're going to regret that. And Sandy with his hair all flopped in his face, like puts his hand up and he goes, I'm standing right here, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> It's good stuff. Which was cringier, that moment or what we witnessed last night on the Oscars? Oh, that I moment. They're both based, um, in my opinion. I love I love seeing non-toxic masculinity at work. Um, so I have a fun question that you all have not heard before, and I'm really excited about it, which probably means you all won't be. But um, <laughs> here we go. Okay. What would Bullet, Frank... And will Tut's atomic county character names and powers be? <laughs> okay, Will's the little drummer boy. <laughs> okay, what? Are, oh, what are, look! What are his yeah. powers? Okay, yeah, I don't, his powers are bad acting. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Frank's it would be the um, Maga Man. <laughs> Maga Man. Yeah, and it would just be whatever Kevin Zorbo's doing in real life. Those are his superpowers. <laughs> Who is the third one? Third one is Bullet. Oh, boy. That's a great question. Yeah. Bullet has to be something awesome. Like big text. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I need to think about that one. Okay. Well, we'll think about it. Or we won't. But that's all I have for this episode entitled The My Two Dads, which was also an alternate name for this podcast. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) that's all I I had a couple of no's, I think. Oh, the one I think... um, I just thought it was bizarre and weird that when Sandy takes the food inside from dinner, he has a full plate of food that he sets four of them on top of each other and just like places them in the sink, which is not a normal person thing to do. My grandmother was really upset about that. There's a reference to Bachelor Bob in this episode, which I didn't ever catch until now. Bachelor Bob Guinea, who was the Bachelor right before this, which I just love that those worlds intersect kind of like how you brought up Battlestar Galactica earlier like the the fact that the bachelor exists in the world of the OC just makes me really happy and then the other the only other thing was that I believe it's been two weeks now since we've watched this episode but um <laughs> this was the episode where Julie and Frank kiss at the end right yeah yeah before he goes away he's like bye kisses her and she looks a little bit surprised right because there's no bullet and there's no Frank in the next episode we can talk about that when we get there so yeah Frank and Julie kissing at the end of this episode is weird, obviously. It's strange for a lot of reasons. But the thing that I had written in my notes was that we had talked before about how Taylor and Ryan and their connection and like what was their what was their connection. And that just any guy who gives Taylor attention, she wants to be with that guy. And I'm kind of getting that energy from Julie that like Frank just shows up and like does this shady shit with the hotel. And then she finds out he's Ryan's dad and he's dying. Oh, he's not actually dying. He lied about all of that, but he's giving her a little bit of attention. And so she's like in on Frank now. So I actually have a question that kind of stems from that. An ongoing theme of this season has been that something that could otherwise be creepy is not creepy if the person doing it is cute. Um, i.e. at the beginning of the next episode where Taylor is taking pictures of Ryan. And it's so hard for me to do this because of my preconceived notions, but let's do this for Frank and what he's doing to Julie. Kevin Sorbo. Because Sorbo, I kind of already have this ick factor with Sorbo. Mm -hmm. Because of real life Sorbo? Yes. Okay. So is it natural as a first time viewer for me to feel that ick when I see Kevin Sorbo's character? That's a good question that I feel like I've been trying to figure out this season is how was the show representing these characters in 2007? Like, I feel like Frank 
was meant to be liked by the audience. I think he was meant yeah. to be like sympathetic. Like we were supposed to kind of root for him. I liked him watching this. But like we mm-hmm. immediately hate him because one, it's just a different time, but two, Kevin Sorbo himself sucks. And but I feel the same way about um Bullet. Like I feel like Bullet was almost put out there as a character we were not supposed to like, but we fucking love Bullet, <laughs> right? And I feel the yeah, same way about yeah, Che. Like so Che true. was presented as a character we're supposed to like and I hate Che. Were we supposed to like Che? You're supposed to find so. him quirky and cute, I think. Or just kind of like a, a caricature. Otherwise, the whole thing with him and Summer and the betrayal would not be as much of a plot point. Because if we hated Che to begin with, we would be like, well, fuck that guy. We hated him anyway, so who gives a shit, right? The fact that we yeah. like him and he did something bad is like the point of the story, I feel like. Oh, well, see, I didn't really think of it like that, I guess. I wasn't like, oh, man, I was supposed to like him and he did that. It, to me, I was more like, oh, of course, that little prick. You, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, of course, like that um, faux uh, activist. That, that, I, that was kind of more my thinking of it. Um, I thought he was funny back then. I think he's funny now. Wow. Hot takes. The uh, music moment of the episode. Um, I know this is not a spoiler for you guys anymore because I said it last week. Um, it's a song called The Commander Thinks Out Loud. It was the last song played. There's not a lot of great songs in this episode. The reason I chose that song is because it's by The Long Winters. The Long Winters fronted by John Bean Roderick. Dad! Who, a.k.a. Bean Dad. <laughs> Ew, God. Terrible. Who went viral mid-pandemic virility. Big moment for all of us. Really brought the timeline together. Not unlike last night, which really separated everybody. <laughs> but uh, Did I already make the joke that I want Bean Dad and Shrimp Tails guy to fight? You didn't make that joke, but like a hundred million other people have made that joke. There weren't a ton of good outfits either. So the one that kind of stuck out to me um, because I had similar outfits like this, but uh, Caitlin wore kind of like a plaid A-line overall type dress underneath a mock turtleneck. And those mock turtlenecks really had a moment during the uh, late aughts, if you guys remember that at all. Oh, yeah. I agree. That is the the outfit moment of the episode. I just want to shout out to uh, Eric Ward, who was wearing those (laughs) plaid, pink plaid (laughs) board shorts that went down to his knees uh, with a long sleeve, bright pink dress shirt. Looks like he's going to a Simple Plan concert. Yeah, he looked great. We don't we don't give the what? Ward brothers enough love on this podcast. I feel like we casually mention them every week, but like they every scene they're in, they are fucking dynamite. I think about them every time I think about Chelsea's pregnancy. Yeah, I myself am trying to study them a, li- a bit better because <laughs> that's my future. That's, so that's it for that episode. Let's get into uh, the next episode. Episode 10. Episode 10. It's called The French Connection. The French Connection features Sandy Cohen on screen for five minutes and 46 seconds. Dylan, wee oui, wee. Oui. Bonjour. We connected Frenchly on January 11th, 2007. All 3.83 million of us. Thanks to Ampere, J.J. Philbin. Okay. Um, so, you know, kind of broken up by characters. First of all, I just want to say this is one of the more fun episodes, maybe, of the entire series. Okay. I buy okay. it. Okay. No, I agree because it's in season four and season four is the most fun. But I still feel like the back-to-back bizarre Christmaca episode and then the alien rave are by far like those to me those were the most yeah. fun I that had was this that was good stuff oh that was a blast but this is i think this is right in the same family as those um so it kind of starts out by uh taylor she her and ryan are being adorable and she makes a uh notebook with all of these weird moments she's like these are our hospital bands and this is a weird picture i took of you so when creepy. you weren't paying attention and yet again it's such a dommer dobbler thing because if this is anyone else we'd be like ooh toxic but because it's taylor we're like oh that's so cute it's big borat energy 
I go to the main capital city and take a pictures of the ladies when they make the toilet. <laughs> Brian didn't seem to care. Ryan thought it was cute, I think, because he really likes Taylor. And so it's like more validation that she really likes him back, which I feel like is a very important part of their relationship dynamic is Ryan getting validation from somebody that they like him. Because mm-hmm. I don't think he's ever had that before from anyone. So good for her. Um, so as they're kind of having this sweet little exchange, um, she looks over Ryan's shoulder into a book, uh, like a bookstore, and she sees that every single uh, window is filled with a book called A Season for Peaches, and she just about faints because she realizes in that moment exactly that that book is about none other than herself and her lover, Henri Michel from France. None other than her. Ladies and gentlemen, her. So um, there's a lot of context that we just need to talk about. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I mean, for, first of all, I want to say, like, this came out at a time. It was before Fifty Shades of Grey. It was before kind of, like, sexy books were really um, that commonplace of a thing. Um, I think the only time I ever heard, like, a naughty book being talked about on a television naughty. show was there was an episode of Friends where Joey finds, like, Rachel's book or something like that, and they clown her the entire episode. But even in this, it's covered so differently. Like, Rachel's embarrassed that she owns it. But in this, people are reading it at the bar. Sandy talks about loving it. His friends talk about loving it. Even Summer's like, eh, you know. Like, everyone has an opinion about it. So I guess I kind of want to talk about that. And also, um, I feel like that era might have been the last era of having just really viral books that everyone talked about. Um, We haven't had a big moment quite like that. I feel like we're, I like that we're approaching this a different way this time than we did last week when we talked about this, because you were, you, you, when you said it last week that like we hadn't had a major like mainstream book i was like that's a great point we really have it i think the closest we had come up with was like the wash your face books or maybe like the dan brown like da vinci code stuff um but yeah but the dan brown da vinci code was in that same era yeah. as uh, the oc yeah but like i i was thinking about um 50 shades and how i we dylan and i both thought that this was a like a reference to 50 shades of gray mm-hmm. before we realized that this came out like five years before 50 shades had come out the book yeah. 50 shades so that was just so very right. like forward thinking by the oc um but when you were talking because about at this point i think that twilight had barely been published like the whole series wasn't even out yet and 50 shades was an offshoot after twilight had been written it started out as a fan fiction that just got a little naughty and a little carried away. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I think that it had to be at least eight years later. But when you're talking about that type of like content of like, oh, someone found the thing that's that's naughty. I now I just now had the realization that um, there was that Seinfeld episode where do you remember the Seinfeld episode where um, Jerry was trying to tape record his comedy set and they said like a mystery woman had taken the recording and like whispered all those very sexual things into it and they were trying to figure oh, out yeah. and they ended up it ended up being Elaine and then once they found out it was Elaine they all became very infatuated with Elaine it's a great episode um, but, I, but I feel like that's what Ryan is afraid of people looking at Taylor like if they found out that it was Taylor in the book so I uh, <laughs> I did some digging on this because this like the this I don't want to say smut because smut has kind of a derogatory term kind of phrase uh, connotation to it but whatever the positive word of that is erotic literature I was doing some research on the kind of resurgence of erotic literature because I mean it's been around 
Um, it just, as you all kind of alluded to, it just hasn't been very mainstream. I mean, anytime you go into a homeland and you see Fabio ripping, you know, the bodice off of some blushing young bride, you're like, okay, this is something that my aunt reads who we don't talk about very often. But, um, so in 2008, there was actually an open source, um, kind of collective website called archive of our own. Um, that started and it was a kind of a repository where users could submit their own fan fictions. And so it's funny, you know, that we talk about Fifty Shades of Grey because Fifty Shades of Grey was a fan fiction from Twilight that kind of, as Chelsea said, got a little bit raunchy. Um, so Archive of Our Own is still going on today. It actually won an award in 2019, a Hugo Award for Best Related Work. Um, and so it's, there is a massive market for this. And I, I have a theory, you know, the reason why we haven't seen just these monumental, you know, Harry Potter, Twilight, Dan Brown, stuff like that is because every single fandom has its own specific corner now. And I'm convinced that if you know kind of where to look, you'll see that stuff happening. You know, a big series I mentioned last week um, is A Court of, uh, of Thorn and Roses, which is this four book, like thick fantasy book series. It's basically like smutty Harry Potter type stuff, apparently. I haven't read it yet. I'm going to though. We can do a book club. Um, but if I you don't know, know, Dylan, you're very into fan fiction. I think that you know so much about this because you might partake. It's 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 long it's a long play, okay? I'm writing an impreg fanfic about the Ward twins. Don't worry about it. It's gonna be great. Maybe one person in our listening audience know what I'm talking knows what I'm talking about. But um I'm I'm convinced that, you know, that's kind of the answer that I arrive at when it's a when was the last time we've had a big um, you know, peaches type moment. And I think they're happening and they're even happening more frequently, but they're just happening in their own spaces as opposed to mainstream. So that defeats the entire purpose of the question, which was when was the last time one of those broke through into the mainstream? But I, I understand what you did. I love your erotic book minute instead of a comic book minute. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to come minute. I feel educated. You're talking about like the um, what were the, the Harle- Harlequin romance section oh, yeah. of the grocery store. That's what you're talking about. A thing that happened in the past week since we recorded this episode last week <laughs> Um was that the uh, the Crawdads book was announced? It's being turned into a movie, and Taylor Swift is doing the music for it. And there's already controversy about that. So that's going to be yeah. one of those. By the way, to answer directly answer your question about books and about stuff like that, uh, The Witcher and Shadow and Bone, um, both are Netflix original series, and both started as books. Um. So this this whole um storyline, I think, is really interesting. It's a fun character study with Ryan and Taylor. Um, we get to see that Ryan has grown a lot because I think that a different Ryan would have been really, really upset by the content. Um, but that's not at all what upsets Ryan in this instance. Ryan is more upset that um, Taylor has so much in common with this um, Henri Michelle guy and is very interested in kind of high culture. Um, and this isn't the first time that they've kind of touched on that subject before. Like, that's why I felt out of place when uh, Marissa and Oliver were kind of talking about rich people things. Um, but ultimately, at the root of it, it's just Ryan is wondering if they are too different to really make a good couple. Um, so I was going to ask you guys, like, do you think that um, couples have enough in common if their interests are just so divergent? Like, do you think that someone who... That's it. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan the- knows. Ryan knows. Divergent. He's going to say divergent. I the know The divergent it. series is the last time that happened. Sorry. Chelsea, do you say that word often? Divergent? 
Uh, no. That's incredible that you said that, and we just had the conversation of, like, what was the last major book series, and the the light bulb went off in both of our heads at the same time. (laughs) Okay, I never watched those, but was was that the one with Shailene Woodley, or was that the one with Lily Collins? Shailene Woodley. Yeah. Okay. Did anyone watch those? Um, a lot of- The movies? No. Well, I think the movies did okay. The books were very big, though. Yeah, books were huge. The books came right after okay. um, the Hunger Games, you know, and they kind of tried to play. Lily off Collins, them. yeah, Lily Collins, and that other that really hot uh, guy that kind of looks like he's dying. Um, Steve Buscemi, Jamie Bauer, Campbell. Yeah, <laughs> he's like the young version of Steve Buscemi. But I think they were in. It was called like City of Bones or something like that. Mm. Oh, Shadow and Bone. No, Mortal. Uh, in- you're thinking of Mortal Instruments. Mortal Instruments, and it's Jonathan Rhys Myers. Okay, I want to. I'm gonna. Sir, I'm gonna throw the lasso and bring us back, bring us circles back up here. Oh, first of all, thanks, Ryan. I want to say, I think that Ryan has the fear that I kind of mentioned a minute ago, but that the Seinfeld episode, where if you've seen the episode, you know what I'm talking about. That once they figured out it was Elaine saying all these dirty things, everyone looked at Elaine differently. Like, oh, she's capable of doing these dirty things, mm-hmm. and I feel like Ryan does have a fear. That people would look at Taylor that way if if that if they find out that it was Taylor. I don't think he's mad at her or upset at her for doing those things. And he's you know I think he understands that she's just living her life. She's a young girl. She's in Paris. Things happen. But I do think there's a little bit of a fear of things. People are going to look at her differently or maybe even judge her. And that kind of comes full circle. Comes back around later in this episode when we find out that Taylor has lied to Henri Michelle about Ryan, who having accomplished or done all these very scholastic things that he had never actually done um, because she was afraid that he was going to be judging Ryan. So I feel like that was a fun parallel that I don't think I even put together until just now in real time. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But this is, like you said, Chelsea, this is like now the, I want to say the third time that they've used a version of the storyline once with Oliver and Ryan uh, the next was uh, Zach and Summer and Zach's family. And now it's back to Ryan with Taylor and her ex-husband. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about as wa- while I was watching this that I didn't really think about as a, a high schooler is that this is kind of a traumatic thing that happened to Taylor. Like, it's not a sex tape, but it's probably as close as you can get to one without it actually being a sex tape. Um, so how do we feel about Ryan kind of making this about him? Like, is it weird that he, like, shares that it's about Taylor with other people like Sandy? Um, it almost reminds me of whenever, um, a bunch of, like, Hollywood's people's phones got hacked. The fapping. And, um, Jennifer Lawrence was kind of talking about, she was like, well, I had a lot of friends reach out and be like, hey, at least you looked good. And she was kind of like, I know that they meant that as a compliment, but still it was like, I, (laughs) did I give you permission to see me naked? Like, how, how, how do we think that that factors in today that it might not have, um, 15 years ago when this came out? I want to play a game. Not even a game. It's not like I'm the jigsaw. I want to play a game. No, um, but no, I, I, I am trying to put what you said into a more um, feasible, I guess, uh, way for me to look at it. So let's, you say it's as close to a sex tape as it could be, but it's not because the people reading the book don't know that it's Taylor. I understand that it could be traumatic for Taylor, knowing that this has been published about herself, but my question to you mm-hmm. is, let's say, I think I asked a version of this about myself last week, but I'm going to ask you now, Chelsea. Let's say that you found out that your husband, that there is a sex tape of your husband 
but no one has seen it, but you know that it exists. Is that better or worse than there's a book about your husband's sex life that goes into detail as much as this book does, and everybody knows that it is about your husband? Um, I, I guess it would depend on how much agency you had in reclaiming it. Like, if something exists, but no one sees it, then it might as well not exist. So that's kind of um, what Taylor's having to deal with now, right? In, like... So so Taylor took agency over it when she chose to do those um, interviews with Henri Michelle. Yeah. But before she had just made the decision to do that, Ryan shared with Sandy and Sandy's friend that um, that was Taylor. A short funny question. Um, what do we think of Henri Michelle's portrayal? Is it problematic or is it just kind of funny because it's about a privileged white dude? Like The deal is he's not really French. If he was actually French, I think it'd be really funny. But I think that he's yeah. just like I, the hired stock per- American dude that they hire to play a ridiculous Frenchman. A stock person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that it wouldn't be like bad if he was an actual French guy because he's like, I can make fun of myself, but... He's a guy from Washington State, um, so I don't know how I uh, how I necessarily feel about it. But his uh his his IMDb profile photo is him like on fire from Once Upon a Time. So there you go. I think he's only in two episodes, and again, this isn't necessarily a, necessarily a problem with season four because I love season four, but it does feel a little bit like a crutch where. Oh, we have to introduce Che to be like a main story point for one or two episodes. Then we have to introduce um, this weird alien girl to be the main story point for one episode. Now, Henri Michelle's a main story point for one episode. Frank is a main story point for one or two episodes. Like they can't, like they have to keep introducing new characters. They can't just work with what they have. There, I think there's pluses and minuses to that. Yeah. Uh, I will say that the Henri Michelle had two of my favorite lines in this episode. They both came very quickly, one after the other. One is where he says that bathing is for the bourgeois, which I love. Uh, And then the other one is when he (laughs) refers to Ryan as a corn-fed farm boy. Oh, gosh. Um, So I guess just last thing to kind of tie this whole segment up together is, like, I understand why Ryan was hurt because... um, when Taylor lied to Henri Michelle about what Ryan did for a living, um, not to keep referencing friends, but uh, it did remind me of when Ross was trying to think about whether he should be with Rachel or not. And he wrote a list of all of the um, cons and she found it. And she was like, what if the person that you loved, like not only saw those exact same flaws that you saw, but use them as reasons to not be with you. Um, so I guess just, you know, can we justify what she did or do we kind of, you know, understand the hurt that Ryan's feeling? Like, what? How, how did you guys feel about that? I think the theme for these two episodes has been insecurity. And I think that kind of like we had discussed earlier, I think that Taylor's desire or, or her, her feeling like she needs to lie about Ryan comes from her own insecurity about herself. Because loving ryan for who he is is all good and well but if you're lying about who he is to other people then you're not truly loving him for who he is um and i understand why she did it and why she would do it um but i think that ryan is justified in being hurt by that i would also be upset if i were ryan can i bring up something that i said last week that i think is very interesting and that it is (laughs) yes Yes. Not that what I said was interesting. This this part of the show is interesting. Oh, okay. That if you go oh, okay. back to a couple episodes ago when Seth proposes to Summer and they 
have the awkward hug and then he goes should we hug again and they hug again we had ryan and taylor making out in the closet when they very first like got together but then every scene with them after that when they're supposed to be kind of romantic it's like ryan crawling into bed and then they pull the sheets over and you don't they don't they're not actually kissing and seth and summer have not kissed like this whole season i don't think and I just think that that's very strange that no one is really kissing anybody anymore. And I feel like part of it is that Adam Brody and Rachel Bilson broke up in real life. And I don't know what the other part of it is, though. That yeah, that is a really good point. Um, People are reading more, but kissing less. I mean, if you remember season, season one, everyone was making out with everybody, right? <laughs> yeah, they were. And then there was that really hot, vol- the, the hot Volchek uh, Marissa stuff, right? God. Well, okay. If I was Misha Barton, though, and they were like, this is the guy you're playing against, I would be like, oh, I, I think we need to have a sex scene. <laughs> Chelsea, you need to get <laughs> away from man madness. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's Paul Rudd, isn't it? It's Do you Paul remember, I, uh, I think it was season one, when Sandy and Kirsten almost had, like, they had a very steamy scene where she was, like, chewing on his ear. Oh, oh they, yeah. yeah they, she was, like, straddling him in bed, and she was like, oh, remember the morning was when we used to have our Yeah, there's time. none of that anymore. <laughs> there's no sexiness in this show anymore, I guess, in season four, like most relationships. Yep. <laughs> the one season well, with the erotic book in it. I know, weird. Okay, well, while we're talking about um, sexy things and partners and dating and breaking up, let's move on to Seth and Summer. Um, So basically what's going on in this storyline is that while Seth goes to Seattle to meet with Dr. Roberts about asking um, for his daughter's hand in marriage, Summer kind of leans into becoming a noopsy wife and she hangs out with her old pal Holly for the day. Um, just a couple observations. Like, it's kind of weird. Holly presents like someone who's in her late 20s, but really, ostensibly, she couldn't be more than two years older than Summer. But I, since they were all at the same cotillion, really, it, it, the OC presented them as being the same age. So, not 100% sure what was going on there. Um, Holly kind of talks, you know, about being in the Noopsy Wed Club and how they kind of work out and then go to brunch and they go shopping every day. Um, Summer tries to kind of make the most of it and see if this lifestyle is for her, but she keeps seeing visions of Che everywhere, um, which I think is representative of, oh, wait, I, I was an activist. I really liked myself when I was going down that path. Um, meanwhile, Seth, you know, he goes to Seattle with the plan of, I think, just kind of throwing it away. And just being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to marry your daughter and you're going to say no. And then that's going to kind of help me get out of this. But instead, he finds to be kind of moved by what Summer's dad has to say just about her and how special she is. And it makes Seth kind of realize, oh, my gosh, this actually is the love of my life. Um, do you what, what did you guys think Seth's mental journey was throughout this whole episode? I feel like. Seth's mental journey is the same it's always been. Um, and it's mm-hmm. that he has to go about a very simple idea in the hardest way possible. Um, he could have prevented all of this. He could have prevented the airfare. He could have prevented having to, you know, to uh, to deal with, uh, with, with Doc Ock again by just admitting to Summer how he felt. Um, but what I really like, and and I won't get into this. I'll just I'll just preface this, and then I'll throw it to Ryan. But when it when it comes to Seth's kind of mental journey, I love it specifically because of how bad it is compared to the wonderful one that Summer went on. I think I had a long rant about Summers um, in the last episode that you won't hear. But um, but Ryan, how do you feel about Seth? 
I d- first of all, I don't really care for Neil. I think I've talked about that a lot on this show. Um, I just not someone mm-hmm. that appeals to me at all. So whatever, all the Seth Neil stuff, I was like, yeah, great. You tried to you tried to fuck it up, and you couldn't even fuck it up because now you love her, and now you actually want to marry her. Cool. Something that was interesting, a couple. Uh, it wasn't the episode that we just did. I think it was an episode from last week. But there is a scene that I thought was really well done. It, I don't. I think it was really well done if it was done on purpose. I'm not sure if it was done on purpose. But it was Seth and Summer, they were driving to get married, and they were like in the middle of a desert somewhere. And finally, when this whole thing with Neil comes up, it comes up because Seth pulls the car over and says, I can't do this. And as soon as he says, I can't do this, there's a look of relief on Summer's face. Almost to say, thank God, it's over. We don't have to get married. But Seth, being Seth, being Mm -hmm. an asshole, being the one that always has to win, I think the way the show was shot sees that look on her face and that's when he doubles down and says without talking to your dad first right i think it was it was kind of subtle but i thought if it was done on purpose it was really well done so that's how he ends up in the situation and it's you know whatever it's adam brody being adam brody who i think we all agree has given up on this season um and it's neil (laughs) being neil Mm -hmm. by the end of that journey seth has decided he wants to be with summer meanwhile Summer has fully become the person that she was in the Bizarro Chrismica episode. She she saw a taste of what that would look like, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, she tries it on, if you But will. she does try it on. And your point about them being the same age is great, because literally the point of a cotillion is, we are all of this very specific age to enter into society. So they are the same age as Holly. So mm-hmm. for Holly to be 12 years into a marriage already is pretty wild um that's insane yeah it's so confusing like did she not go to college like did she get married as a junior and drop out of school like i'm very they were 15 at cotillion right Mm -hmm. because i thought i I seem to remember us talking about how it's an appropriated quinceanera and so yeah that didn't that timeline doesn't make sense it's weird it's a plot hole but mm-hmm. her seeing Che again, I, I'm sure Dylan had thought that we were done with Che at this point. I think I thought we were done with Che by this point. <laughs> Turns out we're not. This is the only time I kind of felt like, okay, Che's purpose here, at least in this particular moment, is to remind Summer of the thing that she thought she didn't want to be. Because we, we yeah. she had the conversation with Che a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago. This is She's telling Che, this is who I really am. I'm the person that loves celebrity, gossip, magazines, blah, blah, blah. But now that Che's yeah. coming back, she's going, oh, that's actually not who I am. I actually am the person that I keep getting reminded of. The best scene in that entire episode. Here are my magazines. Here's my posters. Here's my dead friend. No, I think that's why Che doesn't at all... Um like bother me is because he almost is like the angel and devil on Summer's shoulders. Like he was always meant to just be like representative. Um, the idea of Che doesn't bother me as much as the actual character of Che being this too over the top hippie granola playing naked didgeridoo guy. Like that just that to me was too much. But he's the personification of college experimentation. While we're talking about Summer, I do want to say back you know, after she's done hanging out with the noopsie weds and she talks to Seth, uh, she's wearing this awesome like brown floral uh, baby doll dress. Again, just like Caitlin's outfit before this, it's kind of like a little A-line dress. It has a mock turtleneck. Such a moment. I bet they both got them at Charlotte Russe. I agree. Great moment. We'll talk about the music moment in a minute. But this was another thing that I thought was we talked about last week that was interesting was that they have they, Seth and Summer have basically arrived in the same place. They took very different journeys to get to that place, and their reaction to being mm-hmm. in that place is very different. 
I think that we both, we all agreed last week that they kind of have all, both or all, they kind of have both agreed that we should get married in the future. But the way that they go about yeah. it is so different because Seth is saying, you know, let's just stay engaged. We'll keep a casual, a casual engagement as much as you can be. And then later on down the line, when we're ready, we'll get married. In summer, I don't remember what happens in the next episode, but I don't feel like this is played up enough. Summer says, no, I cannot marry you. Take your ring back, this fake ring. I'm not going to be engaged to you. And I feel like those are two very, very different things. And if I'm Seth, I don't know if I could come back from that. I Obviously, I know what happens in the future. But like I was thinking about how I don't know any couples that had a rejected engagement that actually ended up happily together. No, yeah. I, I don't either. But that being said, it, it's summer being wise because you I really, really don't think that you can... Like, so much of um, turning into a grown-up is having different relationships with different kinds of people. And as much as people go in with, like, a positive attitude, and I don't think it's completely impossible, but it is really hard to figure out who you are when you're constantly always considering someone else into your calculus equation. So, like, yeah, the right thing to do for their uh, both of their own personal growth was to break up. But um, at the same time, you're right. I don't know how you possibly reject someone with the plans of getting back together. Okay, but later. are they broken up is the question I think Dylan has, right? Yeah, that I, I leaving this, taking the words as true, taking the words at face value, they're not broken up. They're just not engaged. Um, do you think that they are no longer exclusive, a couple – I think the show did a very good job of doing this on purpose and making us wonder, at least for another week, are they broken up or are they together? Like, what's this? What's their situation? Which I think the show did that on purpose, not to be confusing or to, to be confusing on purpose, whatever. It did a really good job of making us wonder and wanting to watch next week. I don't know what the numbers look like for next week, but yeah. uh, if you're wondering, Dylan, and you haven't seen the next episode, then I feel like they did a good job. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, the only two uh, little storylines we have to talk about are um, Julie and Kirsten, and then also Caitlin and Chris Brown. <laughs> um, Julie's still running the gigolo ring on the DL with Spencer, Bullet's uh, son. She is fully involved. She's not just looking the other way, which is endlessly frustrating for me. As a non-shady business individual, I was like, Julie, this is so easy to stay on the legal side of. Like, I do not understand why she didn't do that. Like, literally, like, if all she did was create opportunity and set updates, but had no knowledge of any extra money being, you know, exchanging hands, then she would have been totally fine. So I just don't really get that. Welcome to Chelsea's Shark Um, Tank. Well, it it just makes no sense because it's like now we have extra money that we have to deal with and that Gordon can see and that uh, the IRS can see Mm -hmm. and that Kirsten can see. It just, especially when Julie didn't even need that extra money, they had an investor at that point. And they were making, you know, they were making it before. So I just don't really understand that. Um, But Kirsten can tell something's afoot and she steals her phone to creep on it. I guess, you know, long story short, Kirsten figures it out. They have a confrontation. Julie's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I regret it. But like, come on. I, I had a question for you, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Between Ryan and I, which one of us is Hercules and which one is Commander Snake? I don't know these references. Who's Commander Snake? Wow. Chelsea, did you watch the heavy lifting again? <laughs> those, were the, those were some of the names of the gigolos. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Now I remember that. No, you I don't. Know. You're looking a little snake. <laughs> I, I called called you a mouse earlier so i guess that kind of goes with being a snake right 
Can you guys hear me? Oh, good. Yeah, we can hear you. We're just not reacting to this. <laughs> Why? Well, I just, what, do we have any feedback on what happened here? Like, do we think um, Julie's actually sorry? Like, what do we, what do we think about, what do we think well, happened here? Julie's sorry she got caught. Yeah, everything you said basically mm-hmm. sums it up, Chelsea. I think you did a great job summing that up. Just, you know, it's, it is, it's Julie doing a thing. And I think the only real reasoning we have is a kind of throwaway line at the end of the last episode when Frank and her kiss and frank and her that's funny when they when they make out and he says you know here's your books i cleaned them up so they look good but he also says you know this is a pretty good operation you got going on if you keep it up you can have enough money to buy your own house so she won't have to keep living in neil's house um which i guess is something she wants to do i don't know why you want to leave neil's house but whatever yeah the only other real thing i thought was interesting about that was that they at the beginning of the episode when they were um, they were holding up like photos of dudes saying yes or no, and I was like, oh, just like they just like they predated Fifty Shades of Grey, they also predated Tender by doing this. Absolutely. Um, okay, so moving on to Caitlin. Um, Caitlin's kind of into Chris Brown. Um, he comes over and watches like cops with her. World's dumbest um, cops. Julie comes in. <laughs> yeah, Julie kind of comes in, and Caitlin claims she's not on a date. Um, Chris Brown is like doubtful about Caitlyn, um, but she like, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I thought your kind of tough girl thing was just a, just a phase or, or just a mask you put on at school. Cause she like offered him weed and he leaves. Total not Chris Brown thing to do. <laughs> um, Caitlyn surprises Chris Brown by she shows up at his clothing drive and he further surprises her by showing him that she's actually friends with some of the. Um, unhoused people at the closing drive. Shout out to Daryl once again. Um, I was just going to ask you guys, like, what do you think attracts Caitlyn to Chris Brown? I think my thing was that it was, uh, there, you know, there are social levels, there are social totem poles, and Caitlyn is allegedly in a, towards the top because she's the cool rebel girl that smokes weed and doesn't care about anybody. And Chris Brown is allegedly at the bottom because he is in band. He's a band geek, which I disagree with, but the show loves fucking making people who are in band look geeky now, doesn't it? Shout out to Lindsay and the oboe. <laughs> that oboe. Uh, but I think those two levels of people both think that there's nobody on that level that would be into me, and that makes them more intriguing by default. Caitlyn doesn't think that like oh there's someone who is actually smart and cares about real life things that could actually possibly be attracted to me it's going to be all sleaze bags and guys that my sister probably were hooking up with <laughs> and meanwhile um you know someone like will is probably like oh this is like a hot girl who is very cool there's no way she would be into me so i think that's kind of how it works in high school ryan what was the music moment of the episode great question chelsea the music moment of the episode to me it's gotta be the west coast coconut records this was the first time anyone had ever heard Coconut Records. I don't even, I'm not even sure yeah. we knew Jason Schwartzman had a solo project. He was, of course, the drummer for Phantom Planet. He recorded the opening theme song of the OC California. But I don't think anyone, as far as I knew, because I felt like I was pretty plugged in at this time, no one knew that Jason Schwartzman even had a solo project coming out. It was called Coconut Records. And he was very cool at the time. Like at this at this point in time, Jason Schwartzman was like one of the coolest guys in you know the entertainment industry. And so for him to have a new a new thing coming out and having a song premiere on the OC, 
the way the show would work in the past was it would tell you, you know, the music for this episode was by this. And so, and then I would immediately go to my yeah. computer and I would download whatever it is because most of the time those artists had songs that were out already. Was not the case with Coconut Records. It was the first song, first time anyone had ever heard the song was on this episode. I wanted to listen to it so bad. I really liked the song. I wanted to listen to it. I wanted to burn it onto a CD. And you couldn't get the song until the album came out months later. And so for months, I was driving around with a burn CD that had just the audio of the OC with that song playing. So I had an MP3 file that was like 90 seconds long, and it was just that song. But in the foreground, it was Taylor talking to Henri Michel about all the stuff that they were talking about. So you know this episode so well, then. This has it, to it, be is, it is a weird, like, PTSD triggering thing whenever you see it again years later and you hear that song and you hear that dialogue that you heard a billion times in the car, like in 2007. Um, but yeah, that's the music moment of the episode. Fun fact, do you know where else Coconut Records appeared? Where? The Spider-Man 3 soundtrack. Wait, what song? Night timing? Um, summer summer day, Coconut oh, Records, Spider-Man 3. Oh, well, like to- Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 3? Spider-Man so 3, many yes. iterations of... There's been so many Spider-Men <laughs> that I don't... Too many Spider-Men. Sure. <laughs> Shout out to Titus. Um, did you guys have anything else you wanted to add for this episode? Is there anything I left out? I don't think so. But wait, you said you were surprised we didn't want to cover what a minute ago? Oh, oh I have to say, I was surprised you didn't want to cover this episode. Because if I had one that I just had burned in my brain like that, I'd be like, oh, this is my the heavy lifting. Thing. This is Ryan's That's heavy right. lifting. I love, I, yeah, I watch this, this episode lifting. every day of my life. I think that, I think we have. Su- no, it's weird how that happens, though. I think we have sufficiently. Um, just, you know, you're... Go ahead, Joel. I was going to let you finish. <laughs> date well i think we have sufficiently wrapped up this episode slash that date um that's it we've covered the two episodes again for the second time in a week i think we did a great job once again if you want to get in touch with us you can do that i don't know why you'd want to but you can you can reach us by email at coenspod at gmail.com c-o-h-e-n-s-p-o-d or you can find us on instagram at Cohen's Pod, you can follow, you can DM us. There's some content over there, probably. Dylan, what else can they do? Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Both. Mm-hmm. Or choose one. But if you're going to choose one, do a review. Um, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, and you can do that on Spotify now. Um, your days are numbered. This show, we're flying through season four. Don't you want to be able to tell your grandchildren um, on the hollow deck in the future that you were able to leave a review for keeping up with the Coens and OC Rewatch podcast. God, I sure do. That's right, other voice. Um, but yeah, just do it. Great job. Chelsea, anything else you want to add? Um, sorry if you guys can hear my heavy breathing on the microphone throughout this episode. Alex says that I breathe very, very heavily all the time and I snore really bad at night. And like I said, it's because I have a um, 20-pound bowling ball strapped to my chest right now. And she's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's great. It's good enough. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.